Ladies and gentlemen, you are in for a treat tonight. This is our sixth and final lesson of You Be The Judge. And if you think that you've been the judge up until now, wow, the party is just getting started. We've saved, <coughs> we've saved the best for last. This is going to be an incredible conversation with a wild topic. I love this topic um, and I believe that you will love this topic as well. What is the topic? The topic is, if you saw the emails, the multiple emails, you know, unsolicited benefits. Unsolicited benefits. What is the law? What is the ethical consideration regarding unsolicited benefits? Essentially, what I'm talking about, what, is, what do I mean by unsolicited benefits? So, yeah, you didn't ask. Somebody did something for you. And uh, you didn't ask for it, but it did benefit you. You like it, right? Like you, it kind of, it's good, but you didn't, you didn't contract, you didn't contract with them to, uh, to do the work. And now the question is, are you on the hook to pay them? So to get into the mood of the conversation, to get into the spirit of the dilemmas, I would like to read the following little scenario to you and I included it in the email. The scenario goes like this. The charming teenagers down the block decided to surprise Mrs. Grady, an old widow who lived alone. They spent the week mowing her overgrown lawn, pulling out weeds and planting a beautiful flower garden. She was thrilled when she saw the work, but her joy turned sour when the following week, a bill for $500 arrived in the mail. What happens? This is tonight's class. What happens when people do unsolicited favors and then expect payment? That is the question that we are going to address in this class in multiple ways. We're going to address it along multiple case studies, each one which is going to challenge our sense, excuse me, challenge our sense of right and wrong, what is legal and what is ethical. And uh, once again, this is all about you being the judge. So I want everybody to weigh in on this, everyone to take their gavels and rule on this. Ray, do you want to jump in on something? Hold on, you are muted. If you want to jump in, you are muted. Got to unmute and then you can jump in. Yes. I am muted now. Yes, we got you. Okay. Um, so it was very nice of these charming young people to do what they did. Uh, they did a big mitzvah. That's lovely. What's the problem? The problem was there was no contract. They right. Didn't, okay. They didn't say, we'd like to do such and such. It costs X amount of dollars. Are you interested? They, that didn't happen. So I do not believe that, that the people owe any money to these people. <coughs> Okay, good. Very good. Excellent. Great way of expressing it. Okay, let's do an impromptu poll. I love it, Ray. Um, Ray is coming up firing. This is fi firing tonight. Love it. Raise your hand. Raise your hand if you agree with Ray. There was no contract. There was no agreement. There was no discussion of consideration, i.e. payment. And now they want to hit her up for money. Raise your hand if you think that you tell these teenagers, thank you, but get out of here. What are you talking about? Raise your hand. Wow. All right. Shoo. You guys are tough. Ra yes, Donna. The woman didn't want anything done on her lawn. Oh. He was a negative. Good. Excellent. 
Now she wants to counter sue or sue, and she says, you want money from me, I want money from you, right? The good American way. You sue me, I'm going to sue you. Forget about it. That's it. We're done, right? Now you messed up my lawn. I had the perfect weeds. I had exactly what I wanted in my lawn. I had exactly, as we say in Hebrew, I had exactly the weeds and the configuration and the style. It took me years to allow this yard to grow feral and to grow these weeds. And now you and your meddling teenagers, your teenage friends went and ruined my yard. Get out of here. I want it back the way it was. Sure. Okay. So that could be. Um, Does anybody think, raise of hand, anybody think that she should be on the hook for this money? No one. Okay, I'm looking around, looking around. Okay, I don't see anyone. All right, we're going to look at this uh, through a real case study, actually through a a hypothetical case study, uh and then some real case studies to get a sense of the Jewish perspective on this. Okay, and the U.S. legal perspective. Don't worry, we're going to get some comparative law going on over here. All right, let's jump in. Case study one. It's similar to the other case. Um, that we just mentioned about the lawn, but in this case, it's not the lawn. It is the gutters. Okay, here we go. Hold on. Hold on. Coming in from mom. If she got a true benefit, then maybe they split the difference. Oh, 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 okay. Right? My mom from Pittsburgh is saying, one second, if she's benefiting, right, why should she benefit for free? Right? Maybe there should be some sort of consideration. Good. Uh, Hold on. Judy's saying no. Even without saying no, she's saying no. She's like, no, if there wasn't an agreement, that's it. You're out. But she didn't ask for it to be done. She didn't ask for it to be done. Good. Okay, good. So we see two sides. Good. Excellent. We're seeing a little bit of a second side. Now, let's jump into the case study. This is not a, this is not a case study that came before. A Besden, a court, a Jewish court didn't come before the American. It's, it's not a real case. This is a hypothetical case, a hypothetical scenario. And again, it's going to ask us to weigh in on these matters. All right, I'm sharing my screen. Folks, let's jump in. The case of the considerate contractor. You gotta love those uh, those uh, those titles of alliteration. Case number one. Adam Klein, right from the the Klein family. You know the Klein, right? Adam Klein, a contractor, drives by a house in late fall and notices that the gutters are in very poor shape. It seems likely that there will be some damage to the property if they are not fixed before the winter. He knocks on the door, but there is no response. After speaking to the neighbors, it turns out that the homeowners have gone to Florida for the winter, and no one has their contact information. He decides to replace the gutters anyway, hoping that he will be reimbursed when the homeowners return. When the homeowners come home in the spring, he hands them a bill for the new gutters, explaining... Hold on, give me a second here. Let's let some more folks in. All right, explaining that the work couldn't wait until the winter was over without placing the house at risk for water damage. The homeowners tell him that while they do appreciate the new gutters and the craftsmanship, they don't think that they owe him anything, as he did this of his own accord. accord. Can Adam recover his expenses? And now we ask you. Yes, I understand this is a similar case to the case of the flowers and the yard. A little bit different, though, because in this case, there might have been damage to the home, right? So he's a professional. He assesses that there will likely be some damage to the property, water damage, if the gutters are not fixed before the winter. He fixes the gutters, thus potentially or 
very quite possibly, maybe even probably saving the homeowner some da some uh, you know a damage uh, um, money in, in what they would have paid out in uh, dam uh, damages for water damage. And now he's asking for money <coughs> reimbursement for the work that he did. He hands him a bill. All right. So now the question is once again turned over to you. The question is, what do you think? Raise of hand. Who thinks that the homeowners should pay Adam Klein for the gutters? Who thinks that they should pay Adam Klein for the gutters? Hold on. I'm seeing Sarah. Is that a raise of hand, Sarah? Yeah, just for the gutters, just for the expenses, not for the labor. Maybe. Oh, oh, okay. Okay, interesting. So just for the actual um, materials, but not like the labor, not the retail charge, like the basic, basic um, things. Okay, good, 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 good. What else? Who else? Mark, what do you think? Pay the um, unsolicited work? Are you saying yes, you agree, or no, you disagree? I agree with what Sarah said. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Good. Who else, who else believes that, that the homeowner should pay something? All right. Um, I'm just going to... I don't think so, because first of all, the guy was trespassing. Okay. Good point. Good point. Okay. Okay. Good. What else? That was... Hold on. You said first of all. What's my second of all? Oh, well, maybe um, that wasn't their gutter of choice. Maybe they wanted uh, different color, different downspouts. I mean... Excellent. I just think it's so much nerve. Right. Good old-fashioned chutzpah, as they would say in the South. Right? Okay. Yes. But, but, but I, I have a question. Yeah. What if somebody's in a car wreck and they're unconscious and a doctor comes driving by? Should he save their life? Oh. What if that a doctor? What if somebody who's like a, para, a paramedic who knows what they're doing? Or used to be a paramedic. See? My, based upon that, so I was saying based upon that, that well, he wasn't asked to fix the gutters, and if it was a property, not a life, not not a life threatening thing, but a, a property damaging thing, he was being a good Samaritan, and he, I'm not, I'm saying he's not legally, they aren't legally bound to pay him, but I'm saying they're ethically. Bound so one second, one second. In your scenario, actually, I find your scenario interesting, because in your scenario, I would actually wonder. I don't, I don't know that I have an answer to this question <coughs> yet, but it's an interesting question about the doctor. Could the doctor say, hey, you know, we did this work. Uh, we deserve payment. By the way, this happens all the time, right? Somebody, God forbid, gets into an accident and gets driven to the emergency room. And the person, let's say, God forbid, is unconscious, and they do all the medical procedures, and they save this guy's life, and they racks, racks up a bill of $140,000 in the hospital, and they charge him. And the person might say, I never asked for this. I was unconscious. What would be the case then? Would any one of you, would any one of you say that it was an unsolicited benefit? because there was no consent. Let's say there was no next of kin, there was no medical directives. The hospital, the doctors, they just saved this guy's life and now they have a bill and now the guy says, I never contracted with you. Uh, does anyone agree with, does anybody agree that it's a similar case or disagree? I think it's a fascinating thing. By the way, I'm not taking sides. I just love this conversation. 
What do you guys think? What do you guys think? Hold on one second, Donna, one second. We got Steve. At least I'm pointing to where Steve is on my screen. Steve, I'm poking you on my screen. Yes, go. Medical professionals are actually obligated, and they could be held responsible for not for withholding care. Okay. That's why, as uh, probably you know, any doctor you talk to, to, in my car, I had a, uh, it looked like a, a travel bag with uh, four by fours with paws and the trunk tourniquet <clears throat> and so forth, because I was morally obligated if I saw an accident to stop and do something. So, yes, they, they had to, they had no choice. Got it. Now, I, you couldn't bill the person, uh, but if you're a hospital, I'm sure they can. Right. So, okay, interesting. Interesting, interesting. Okay, Donna, jump in. Thank you, Steve, for sharing. I agree with Steve, and I feel the hospital can definitely bill because it's like, the implicit code of our society you know like the, the hospitals are obligated to provide care and they have the right to bill for it okay okay got it got it got it got it got it got it so again you're thinking uh -huh. that there's a different level of obligation vis-a-vis -vis the medical uh community okay good morris jump in oh wait, wait hold on you just unmute you just muted yourself unmute if you don't mind yeah we take an oath when we graduate to certainly take care of mankind. The issue at hand in most of these cases that doctors don't want to stop and help people is because you get a litigious type of society and they're exposed. Now, you want to save a human life, you should be able to save a human life without having the drake up of having the issues. I have another question for you concerning this this particular fellow that put up the gutters yeah let's take the scenario he goes and puts up the gutters and falls off a ladder and breaks ah, his leg good who's liable adina malka's getting triggered because she was like he trespassed to begin with he shouldn't be there from the beginning it's on him. He's now going to sue because he's doing me a favor. Get out of here. You're not getting your money. You're not getting your, 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 um, your accident bill. You're not getting nothing. Get out of here. I don't want to see you anymore. I will enjoy the gutters. You go home, Mr. Gutter. Adam Klein, you're out. Judy, what do you think? What do you think, Judy? Well, I think it's the same thing as the garden. Um, he didn't ask, you know, they didn't ask for it to be done. And, you know, he butted in and decided it needed to be done. It wasn't his business. Okay. They didn't ask for it. They don't have to pay for it. Excellent. Folks, I, I love these cases. I love the conversation. I love the medical insights. That's a twist to this case. I love. It's a little bit different, but I, I, I love expanding it. Okay, so here's the deal. Every one of you that said that the individual who did the work unsolicited should just go home and not expect anything. Whoever said that is correct in U.S. law. Whoa, what, 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 what? In U.S. law, you are correct. You cannot expect or force payment if there's no contracted agreement. That is pretty much the, now there might be some obscure exceptions but the rule is hey it's the squeegee rule of manhattan 
dude comes over to your car and squeegees your thing, you are not on the hook to pay for that service. It was unsolicited. Now, one second. Now, I'm not saying it's not smart to pay the dude, you know, by the Holland Tunnel with the squeegee thing because you don't want to upset that guy. That's another calculation. That might be for safety. You might want to pay that guy, whatever. But no, all of you who said there's no obligation to pay, legal obligation to pay, that is correct in U.S. law 100%. There was no agreement. There was no contract. There was no, right? There was no, there was no, it wasn't con contracted. It wasn't a thing. So the guy did you a favor, Mazel tov. good for you, you're a good Samaritan or whatever, I don't want to mix the terminologies here, but you're, you did a mitzvah and God will reward you, that's it, that's it, God will reward you, you're a mensch, you're a mensch, you saw someone with, with gutters and disrepair, beautiful, that's how U.S. law would look at it, but, however, and I'm sure you could, you're getting ready for the other shoe to drop because that's literally... That's literally why we're here, for me to drop other shoes on you. By the way, you know, you know the story of uh, Dr. Torsky, Rabbi Dr. Torsky. He's, he says the story's like a parable. This guy, you know, he works late, and he uh, finally is going, he finally finishes work, and he's ready to go to sleep, and he's exhausted. He live, he's living in Manhattan in a building, in Brooklyn or whatever, New York in a building, and you could hear everything. And as he's about to fall asleep, like he's in bed already and he's about, he's like slipping into that sweet slumber after a long day, he hears the downstairs apartment door swing open and slam shut. And he's like, oh, yeah, it's my nudnik neighbor from upstairs, right? Harry, he's upstairs and this guy, and then he's here, it's like the winter, so he hears boots like boom, 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 up the stairs. Right, as he makes his way, this guy, the upstairs neighbor up the stairs, and he hears him on his floor, boom, 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 and then he hears upstairs, and this guy's apartment is right directly above his, and he hears him fumble for his keys, he's like, hurry up already so I can go to sleep, because you're driving me crazy, and he hears him fumble for the keys, and then he drops the keys, he's like, are you kidding me? Butterfingers. Pick up the keys, get in your house, get in your bed, go to sleep so I can go to sleep. Anyway, the guy, this, and he finally gets in, the slam, the door slams, he hears them clomping around his apartment, the apartment upstairs, and then he hears the guy go to the bathroom, and he hears the water run, he hears this and that, brushing teeth. Finally, he hears the guy moving to his bedroom, which is directly above his bedroom, mind you. And he hears the guy... Um, uh, you know, sit down on his bed. He hears like the springs of his bed. He hears some creaking. He's on his bed. And then he hears him. He hears a little bit of a pause and he hears a clump. And he knows that the, that, that sound was one shoe being a boot being taken off and thrown on the floor. And now all he's thinking, the downstairs neighbor, all he's thinking is, all right, one more shoe and I can go to sleep. One more shoe and he's waiting. He's waiting and he's waiting and he's waiting. And that other shoe doesn't hit the floor. And now he's going out of his mind because he's just waiting for the last sound before he can go to sleep. And he quickly, he can't take it anymore. He puts on his robe. He runs upstairs. He knocks on his door. The guy comes and answers. He says, will you drop the other shoe already? And the guy says, um, I apologize. I realized it was late, so I took off my other shoe gently and I put it down. Apologies. Anyway, right, so we're waiting for the other shoe to drop. That's how it is. Yeah, waiting for the other shoe to drop. So, my friends, I'm about to drop the other shoe because in Judaism, there is a bit of a different, a different calculation. And in order to understand this, we're going to look at a Talmudic case that is very similar 
and look at how the Talmud rules, in other words, what Jewish law has to say about unsolicited benefits. All right, my friends, buckle up. This is going to get awesome. Okay, here we go. Let me share my screen. Let's jump in. And text number one, Tracte Bava Metzia 101a. Here we go. A case occurred in which a certain person came before Rav. By the way, Rav was his name. Even though Rav means rabbi, his, he was called Rav, this guy. Saying that someone had planted trees in his field without permission and was now demanding compensation for the unsolicited work. So this guy comes before Rav and he says, this is crazy. Some other guy comes into my field, plants trees, didn't ask him to, had no permission to. The guy trespasses. He demands, he plants, and now he's demanding compensation? Listen to this. Listen to the ruling. Rav said to him, go and assess the value of his work and then pay him that amount. Wow. Okay? He says, pay him. Pay him for the trees. One second, we're not done yet. The owner of the field then said to Ravi, replied, but I did not, I do not want these trees. I do not want those trees. For I want to use my field for grain or vegetables. Why should I have to pay him for planting the trees in my field? He says to the rabbi, it's not fair. It's not fair. I don't want the trees. I want it for grain or for vegetables. That's it. Rav then clarified this ruling and said to him the following. Go and assess both his costs and the value of the improvements and pay him the lesser of the two. Since the work was unsolicited, the man who planted the trees is at a disadvantage. So notice what's going on here. Initially, Rav says, pay him the full amount for the trees. The guy pushes back. He says, okay, don't pay him the full amount. Figure out how much the trees cost, like the cost, the cost of the actual trees. Figure out how much more your field is worth in value. And whatever is less, pay that amount. So let's say the trees cost 500 bucks. And now the, the field is worth an extra thousand on Zillow. If there's a, tr if there's a field version of Zillow called Philo, right? So in that case, pay the 500, not the 1,000. If the trees cost 1,000 and it only went up 500 in value, again, pay the 500, not the 1,000. Either way, pay the less of the two. But still, according to Rav's second ruling, you still have to pay for the unsolicited work. Hold on, we're not done yet. The owner of the field repeated his dissatisfaction with this ruling and said to Rav the following, but he doubles down, but I do not want those trees. And I should not be required to pay for them. I don't want the trees. Right? I don't want the trees. I agree. Hold on one second. One second. One second. In the end. So, so, oh, so hold on. At that point, Rav essentially. Whoa, what's going on here? Rav essentially said, okay, if you really, really, really don't want the trees, fine. Don't have to pay. However, in the end, the owner of the tree was seen fencing in the area where the trees had been plant, planted and guarding the trees. Ah, he's putting up a fence around the trees. He's protecting the trees. Uh-oh. Rav said to him, your actions have demonstrated that, contrary to your assertions, you are indeed pleased with what the other man did for you. You like the trees. Uh-oh. Go now and assess the value of his work and pay him the ordinary wage received by someone who is hired to plant the field with trees. For now, he has the upper hand and you have to pay him full value. All right, my friends... My friends, I'm reading to you a Talmudic passage. Remember, don't shoot the messenger. I want 
to study with you a piece of Talmud. The Talmud gives an interesting scenario where somebody plants in someone else's field, unsolicited, trees. Let me say that in English. Someone plants trees in someone else's field without first being contracted to do so. And now he demands payment. So the fellow who owns the field, now with the trees, goes to the rabbi and says, Rav, Rabbi, I don't want the trees. Uh, sorry, he says, no, sorry. He says, the guy planted wants money. What, what, what's the ruling? He says, pay him the money. How much? Pay him the full amount. He says, but I don't want the trees. He's like, okay, fine. So pay him cost or whatever the benefit was for the actual field, whatever's less. He says, but I, I really don't want the trees. So Rav says, okay, fine, fine. So then forget it. Forget it, you don't owe him anything. But then the guy is seen fencing in the trees. Suddenly it's clear that he likes the trees. He's not upset about the trees. I mean, he made a whole... He made a whole stink about not wanting the, I don't want the trees, and, you know, I have my feel for other purposes, but now it looks like he likes the trees. So Rav said to him, if that's the case, now you got to pay. Now you're on the hook. All right, how many rulings, here are my questions. How many rulings does Rav give in this case? How many iterations of rulings? Mark, how many? Three. Three. What's ruling number one? They have the trees. Ruling number two? Pay, uh, pay only for the cost, for the lesser the cost. Ruling, ru good. Ruling number three? Pay for the trees. Okay. There's one, there's one step that's missing. It was full payment, um, cost, then nothing. When he said, I really, 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 really don't want the trees, then it was, he, I know he didn't say a ruling, but the understanding of the commenters is that he said, okay, fine, then you don't have to pay. Right? He was just silent. Then the fourth ruling is, again, full payment. So it's full, partial, none, and then full again. Okay? So there are four, exactly, there are four total rulings from Rav. The real question is, why is Rav all over the place? Like, what's, hala like, what's halacha? What's the deal? Ha ha why is he being, like, so, um, uh, you know, up and down? Wish, yeah, good, perfect, wishy-washy. What's with, what's with the wishy-washiness? So the commentators explain like this, that there's really two types of unsolicited benefit. You ready? So there's actually four types of unsolicited benefits. Two ways to slice them, but each slice has two ways, okay? Two that are four. You ready? There are certain benefits that are necessary and certain benefits that are necessary. So like, for example, you know, planting flowers in someone's garden, not necessary, right? It might make it look nicer, but it's not necessary. Fixing someone's gutters when it's going to damage the home, uh, a little bit more necessary. So you have, that's one way to slice, you know, one way to distinguish between cases. As you ask the question, okay, the guy, clearly the guy did it unsolicited, right? The, whoever did the service did it unsolicited. So they're at, certainly they start off at a disadvantage. But we first ask the question. Was it necessary or unnecessary? Once we have that answer, now we move on to the next question, which is, does the recipient like it or not? You with me? Does the recipient enjoy it or not? If they enjoy it, they, in Jewish law, they will have to pay. Now, one second, I know what you're thinking, but he never contracted for that work. I get it. And in U.S. law, that's all you need to say, and you're done. 
In Jewish law, we go a little bit different. We say at the end of the day, you liked it? You, li you like it? You enjoy it? You're benefiting from it? Okay, you got to pay for it. There's no free lunch. It's almost like on a technicality because you didn't contract. Now, if you say, one second, time out. If you say, take those trees, get them out of my field, and make it look like it looked before, no one would disagree. Rav says, if that's the case, you don't owe a penny. But if you now go ahead and put up a fence, a picket fence around those trees, because you like those trees, oh boy, oh boy, that shows. And again, you could disagree with, with the understanding of what this proof is. But in Rav's mind, that's an indication, that's enough of a, of a proof that this guy liked the trees. And you like the trees, you got to pay for the trees. How much? got to pay for the trees, what an average uh, job like that would cost. Not just the cost of the trees, not just the bare minimum cost, the full price. Now, this explains, let me just backtrack for a second. This explains the evolution of Rav's ruling. So his first thought is, yeah, you're spinning me a tale that um, you don't like the trees. Who doesn't like the trees? They're beautiful trees. Pay for it. Then he says, no, no, I really don't want the trees. He's like, all right, you really don't like, well, you really don't want the trees, like you're, you're, you're opposed to it? Fine, so just pay him the cost. You're still gonna enjoy it, pay him the cost. He says, no, 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 you don't get it. I really want those trees gone. Okay, if that's the case, fine, then you don't owe him a penny. But then if you see that he really likes it, he's on the hook. That's the way it works. That's the way it works in Judaism. In other words, in Judaism, Halacha, Jewish law, does not allow the recipient of the, uh, of the unsolicited benefit to get a free ride on the basis of, I didn't ask him to do it, but you're still getting a free ride. Why should you end up, I understand the counter argument, trust me, I get it. And I'm, I'm not taking a side, I'm presenting Jewish law here. Jewish law says, Halacha says, the Talmud says, that if you receive the benefit, then that you like, ultimately, that you like, that you're enjoying, and you're going to keep it, then you got to pay for it. So now, if you think about it this way, you know, I want to give you another scenario. I feel like another scenario might be helpful. And you know, this, this, this has happened to me before. Has it happened to me? Maybe not recently. Maybe not nowadays. But I think you'll all have a, a sense of familiarity with this case. Imagine you bring your car in for an oil change. Yeah, your car needs an oil change, you bring it in. And the car place, the oil change place has a special, right? Early bird special on Wednesdays. Um, you bring it in, 25 bucks. You get your basic oil and your basic filter and you're out in 10 minutes. Sure. Meanwhile, you have an appointment. No, maybe you're out in 30 minutes, let's just say. Meanwhile, you have an appointment next door or whatever down the block and you're like ah, yeah, i'm not gonna wait for it i'll drop it off i'll pick it up in three hours you come back three hours later and the bill is waiting for you and it's 97 dollars. 97 dollars. what was it? what kind of inflation is that i know i know like there's inflation but 25 to 97 what's going on here how do, how do we jump say no listen we figured out you know when we took out the oil and the, the replacing the filter we realized that there's another thing that you needed what do they throw? What do they hit you with? Um, trying to remember like what they hit you with other charges. Another filter, or this, or that, or the other. You know, they always have add-ons. And we and you needed it. 
you know, they say sometimes to you, like, oh, I, would, I, I wouldn't trust that car with my family. I mean, I, I wouldn't trust that with my family. They notice a car seat in the car. I wouldn't drive any kids in that, in that thing, you know, as it was. We, we had to do that. And now you're looking at a bill, and now you're like, I don't even know what to do. I didn't, I didn't approve it. I didn't ask you to do it. You did the work. I mean, I, you, you would hope that they did the work, not just put it on the bill, right? You, they, they allegedly did the work, and your car is for the better, but, like, are you now on the hook for 97 bucks? And you know what halacha would say? You know what Jewish law would say? If you tell them, take it out of my car and put back what was there and charge me 25, you have that right. If you say, I'll keep it, but I don't want to pay for it, Jewish law says, uh-uh, not going to happen. Not going to happen. If you want, if you, oh, even if you didn't originally contract it, if you like it, if you're going to benefit from it, if it was even more so, if it was necessary, I mean, you know, allegedly necessary, of course you got to pay for it. And so, therefore, if we apply this back to the gutter's case, and I understand the other perspective, and, we, and, and it was well articulated, everyone articulated very well over here, but how would Jewish law, let's just stick with Jewish law for a second, how would Jewish law look at the case of the gutters? And just to remind you, the, the contractor, Adam Klein, a nice Jewish boy from, uh, from the five, five towns, I don't know why I said that, but Adam Klein in this hypothetical is driving around and he sees this house with the gutters falling down. It's pouring rain or whatever it is, rainy season. He says, this house is not going to make it. This house is going to get flooded. The basement's going to get flooded if these gutters aren't fixed. He goes ahead and he fixes the gutters. The homeowners come back. Let, I'm going to give you a scenario. Now, let me fill in some details. Let's say the homeowners say, you know what? We love it. Fantastic. It's great. We needed it. It's benefiting the house. But we didn't ask for it, so we're scot-free. What would halacha say? What would Jewish law say? What do you think? You like it. You like it? You're on the hook for it. Now, if you say you really don't want it, then halacha would say, okay, so just pay for cost. If you say you really, really, really don't want it, take them out, then halacha would say, you're off the hook. But you have to really be willing to say that. In other words, you have to really mean it. Because if you're going to accept the benefit, you have to be expected to pay for that benefit. So this is the rule in Jewish law. And again, it, it's a very different paradigm. And by the way, I would venture to say that as I'm explaining this, some of you are thinking, maybe not everyone, but some of you think that's kind of reasonable. You are you know, accepting the benefit. You are saying, you know, I like it at the end of the day, you know, after it's done, even if it was done, that wasn't done in the right way. And I, maybe I've walked some of you off the ledge, so to speak. And I don't mean that literally, obviously, but I mean like, you know, there's, it's a totally different framework, a totally different mindset. In the American mindset, in the U.S. legal mindset, it's all about the contract. And it's all about essentially autonomy. It's like you cannot take away someone's autonomy from deciding what happens to their property. You, how do you allow someone to go ahead and do work in someone else's yard and then drop them a bill? What a chutzpah. Get out of here. See you later. Jewish law looks a bit differently. It says looks at the outcome, not the process. Yes, the process was a train wreck. But what's the outcome? The outcome is someone has the benefit of new gutters. Someone has the benefit of a clean filter, brake pad, whatever it was, right? Whatever it was, the work that was done on the car. Someone has the benefit of um, the trees, the Talmud case, the, the original case from the Talmud. The trees that are making that property look really beautiful. And someone is enjoying that. And 
they would they really don't want to they don't want to get rid of that they really want to keep that if that's the, if you really want to keep it then you can't have it both ways you can't really want it but not pay for it that's not fair either now how do we stop people from doing unsolicited work I, I, that's a okay that i understand if that's the concern we're opening up a can of worms and trespassing and all that stuff i get it but if we just if we just focus on the immediate scenario and maybe maybe it's hard you know, to, to, to kind of separate those two out. I get it. But if we were just to focus on the action that benefited, or the work that benefited the recipient, and now the person's asking for the reimbursement, Jewish law would say, in many cases, you got to pay for it. How much? The going rate. I, I didn't ask for it. Are you asking to undo it? Because if that's the case, sure, we agree with you. If you're not asking to undo it, if you want to have your pie and eat it, what is it? If you want to have, thank you very much. For some reason, I'm thinking about pie. I don't know why. Or cake even. Arab Pesach. What's going on here? If you want to have your matzah and eat it too, yeah, in that case, you can't, you, sorry, you can't have it both ways. You can't say, I like it. I'm going to enjoy it. But on a technicality or maybe not such a technicality, you know, I don't know what you think. See you later. Shalom. You know, take care. You're enjoying it. You got to pay for it. That's the Jewish approach. Yeah, Mark. I have a question. Yes. It's a little different, but not a lot different. What if you're at a Chinese restaurant, which is not cheap, and you go there and you, you pick out the things you want to eat? It's not going to be a cheap meal, but you say, fine. And you're asked, what would you like to drink? And you see, they have Chinese jasmine tea, but it's $10. It's $10 for the tea. You said, no, nah, that's, that's too much. I'll pass on that. Well, your food's brought, and she brings you the tea. He said, I, I didn't order the tea. Uh, that's fine. I'll take it off your bill. The tea's sitting there. And you look at it and say, you know, <laughs> it's here anyway. I'll, I'll try it. And you like it. Don't like the idea of paying $10 for it. Now, what's the story? You like it. You like the price. You didn't want to get it for that price. You've been told you don't have to pay. Mark, you're coming up with great scenarios tonight. I feel like, I feel like uh, you know, you're, you're locked in on this. I would say, great, great question. And uh, I, I would personally think that when the waiter comes back, or when you told the waiter, you know, I didn't order it, and they're like, all right, we'll take it off the bill, but then they left it there, to me that sounds like that was a gift. At that point, they were saying... Uh, what's the right Yiddish expression? Uh, whatever. Enjoy. On the house. On the house. To me, that's what it sounds like. Because, I mean, let's be honest. They're not taking that thing back. What are they going to do with it, right? They're not going to... I mean, we would hope they don't recycle that thing. Right? That would be terrible. That would be terrible. That, that would be dead. Let's... No. We, let's, let's not have that scenario. So, I mean, if, if she's like, yeah, we'll take it off the bill and then leaves it there... To me, that's an unspoken wink and nod and thumbs up saying, you just got yourself some free jasmine tea. Which, by the way, may be a good strategy. Who knows? But, you know, I think that's, uh, that makes sense. And by the way, we've all had that scenario uh, in one way or another, right? We've all had something like that where, you know, right. somebody did something. We said, you know, I don't want it. And they're like, all right, whatever. So just keep it. I won't charge you for it. And in that case... You really don't have to. What the Talmud is saying, I believe, and again, I, it's, I'm, not, uh, I'm not taking a side here. I'm just presenting two very different perspectives. What the Talmud is really is not, I don't think the Talmud is saying that if, you, if you're benefiting, you should always pay, even if it's a gift. 
What the Talmud is saying is that if it wasn't a gift, on the, well, I guess, on the, in the perspective of the one who did it, I mean, you might say, thank you very much for the new gutters. Like, oh, I'll write you a thank you card. But the, the gutter guy thought, I'm, I'm, I'm making a bit, you know, I'm making a deal here. I understand that that was very, very presumptuous and very, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Very unidirectional, not unidirectional, very, um, whatever, one-sided. Nonetheless, look, it wasn't a gift. He did it as a business. You're enjoying it. You're going to keep it. You got to pay for it. That's at the end of the day. It's almost like, you know what it's like? What? You know, I, I buy a lot of seltzer. You guys know that? By now? You, you probably do, right? LaCroix. I, and other stuff. I'm not, it's not like we're sponsored by LaCroix. Although LaCroix people, if you're listening to this, might as well just, just you know, sponsor some Torah learning. Why not? If your name is the cross, let's just get a little balance here. I'm just saying. LaCroix means the cross, by the way, in French. Um, I have it on good authority. It couldn't be the Mervyn David. It could. It, maybe we'll change it. The star. La, how do you say la star? I don't know. La, whatever. Back to our story. You know, if, if I go to Publix on Ponce across the street over here, and I, uh, um, and I, well, hold on, hold on. Let me think about the scenario. One second. Wait, 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 hold on. Let me think about this. And I, and I, and I, I have, okay, I'm going to be, I don't know why it's such a complicated scenario in my head, but let's just, it's not that complicated. If I put four boxes of the drink, the seltzer, in my car, in my cart, shopping cart, and I check out, and as they're running it, it's the deal's three for $10, and then the fourth one is like full price. And I'm like, you know what? Full price is, uh, is, is not for the Yidin. Forget about it. I'm out. Right? Done. Take out the fourth one. I don't want it. Yeah? And then, by the end of the whole rigmarole, right, as I'm pulling off, as I've paid for it, I'm pulling off, I notice that all four, all four seltzers are in my cart. Somehow, the, ba the bagger person, when the... Are you with me on the scenario? The checkout person put it to the side. But the bagger wasn't paying attention. So the bagger person put all four in my cart. So I paid for three. But now all four are now in my cart again. Am I justified to walk out and not pay for it? Was it a gift from, from, from above? No, it wasn't a gift. It was a mistake. Now, I understand it's not exactly the same scenario. But on some level, what Halacha says is, look, if you want to keep the seltzer, you got to pay for the pay seltzer. For if you don't want the seltzer, say you don't want the seltzer and give it back. So now you can, you can put the onus on the other guy. I didn't ask for gutters. Get rid of your gutters. Take out your gutters. Or I don't want your flowers. Get rid of your flowers. I don't want the oil filter or the what. Take out the oil filter. You could say that. Or the air filter, the cabin filter. Oh, everything's got a cabin, right? Cabin filter. Take out the cabin filter. I never ordered the cabin filter. You can say that. You can say that. Um, but if you, if you want to keep it, then you're on the hook for it. I'm, I'm not suggesting that, you know, I'm not, this is not a, a question on American law or questioning the way, you know, we think along those lines. I get it. You know, contract, it's dangerous that people are not contracting and then hitting you up for money. I understand that. Judaism has a bit of a different perspective. You, you got something, a benefit. You enjoy, you're enjoying the benefit. You want to keep it. You got to pay for it. That's that. Okay, makes sense. Again, even if we don't agree, but you understand the perspective at least? Yeah. Okay. Now, this was all warm-up. 
This was all the easy stuff. Hopefully no one broke a sweat. We're about to get into cases that you will have to, and I'm warning you now, you're gonna have to halt cup and work with me on this. These are scenarios that are a bit complicated. These are now financial scenarios. They're all scenarios of finance, okay? So, halt cup with me and let's do this. Let's jump right in, okay? Case number two. That was, we have three cases tonight. Very, one, two, three. We did one, case of the gutters. Halacha would say, if you want the gutters, if you're gonna keep the gutters, if you needed the gutters, and you're enjoying the gutters, you gotta pay for the gutters. Done. Next. Here we go. Folks, I can't tell you enough. Work with me on this. Case number two. The case of the discount broker. Velvel Guggelheim. Oh, and by the way, this is a real case that came before Rabbi Yaakov Emden, who lived in the 18th century, a great scholar of his time. Velvel Guggelheim and Yosef Kind, okay, two merchants, bought merchandise for, for their respective businesses from the same supplier, Mr. Hans Mittler. It's very important that we get the name straight. Guggelheim and Kind are both buying merchandise from the supplier Hans Mittler. The supplier agreed to give them four months to pay for the merchandise. In other words, he gave it to them on credit. Let me stop for a second. This is how lots of business was done, maybe even till today, but certainly back in the day. That you bought merch, you got merchandise from the supplier. They gave you an amount of time. After the end of that time, let's say four months, hopefully you sold it made a profit. So let's say you bought from the wholesaler, from the supplier, $500 worth of merchandise. You end up selling it, you know, retail, you know, you go move around, sell it, you make $1,000. Great. You give the 500 back to that guy at the end of four months, at the end of the fair season, yeah, you go around to the different uh, flea markets and shops and uh, uh, whatever. And at the end of that, you get to keep 500. You made a profit. Mazel tov. Yes. All right, pretty straightforward so far. Back inside, so we have Guggelheim and Kind who's buying merchandise from Hans Mittler. The terms are four months to pay for the merchandise. However, listen to this. Mittler announced to both his customers that if they paid him early, before the deadline, he would give them a 20% discount. Are you with me on this? What that means is, in very simple terms, they, they bought $500 worth of merchandise from the supplier, he said, you got to give me back the 500 in four months, but if you pay before four months, then you get 20% off. 20% off of 500 is 100, which means pay me $400 and not 500. You can get, you can repay me for $400 and keep the extra 100 and make extra profit and keep the money in your pocket. Listen to this. Googleheim took advantage of this offer and paid off his balance. In an attempt to make a little extra money, he also paid off Kine's balance at the discounted price. Listen to this. Guggelheim pays 400 bucks and wipes out his bill, and then pays another 400 bucks and wipes out his buddy Kine's bill. He wipes out both bills. Okay, you with me on this? Yeah. yeah? After the four months had passed, and the payments were officially due, Guggelheim notified Kind that he had paid his debt for him and that therefore Kind now owed the money to Guggelheim. 
Mm. All right, you with me on this? Mm. Guggenheim was hoping to turn a profit by collecting the full amount that Kain would have had to pay the seller had Guggenheim not paid the invoice for him. In other words, after four months, he says to Kain, uh, how much do you owe? 500? Good, pay that 500 to me. And he's pocketing 100 bucks. Yes? You with me on this? That's his intention. Before we, before, we, before we all rule on this case, all you judges, all ye judges, let's understand the case. I'm going to say it one more time because it's very important that we have clarity. Clarity in the case. Guggenheim and Kind, they're both merchants and they both purchase, I'm, this is, I'm giving the numbers here, $500 worth of merchandise from Mr. Mittler. Mittler says the money's due in five months, four, sorry, four months, if you pay me early, 20% off, 20% discount for early payment. Great. Gewaldic. Guggenheim has extra cash. He's a little bit more liquid, as they say. And he's able to uh, pay for his, knock out his $400 debt and knock out his debt and the other guy's debt at a, at a grand total of $800 for the two of them. Then after four months have passed, he was banking on Kind not paying, not prepaying. He says to Kind, by the way, you don't owe that guy money. Right? I already paid it off, but now you got to pay me. And how much? Not the 400 that I paid, but the 500. And he's looking to profit how much? $100. Right? 100 off of his preemptive move. So here's my simple question. Very simple question. Is this a case of unsolicited benefit? Unsolicited, you know, work? that we said before, according to Jewish law, even if you didn't con con contract it prior, but if somebody did something for you, then you, and, you and you're benefiting from it, you have to pay them up? Um, or is this different somehow? And if it's different, then tell me how it's different. Let's jump in on this conversation. Yes, Donna. So, I mean, this, the person is not getting any benefit. He's still paying the full amount. And so, you know, the one still paying 500 I Excellent. mean, if they had split the difference. So that doesn't make any sense. So you're saying in the case of the gutters, you're enjoying gutters. So you got to pay. In this case, what are you enjoying? There's no benefit, yeah. The, you owed 500 He's now telling you that you need to pay him 500 How did he have... So. After four months. But it's the same... You had to pay anyway. Yeah, it's the right. same. It's the same money. So he didn't. He didn't help. He didn't help you at all. The whole thing is fake news. He didn't help you at all. Like, what's the benefit? This kind of be okay. Good. What else? What else? What else do we notice? Yeah. Rabbi Art, I see not a benefit to the one who hadn't paid ahead of time. Which that was what. Uh, uh, he he is not getting any kind of credit. Uh, record with the supplier it's harm it's harming his reputation it's actually harming him someone else is covering his bill now he his yeah. credit is uh, quite yeah. good okay good what else what else what else do you notice about this case jump jump in jump in with uh, with what you notice how do you feel about this case how do you feel they're cutting out they're cutting out mittler is it mittler mittler is the is the supplier Right, they're cutting, he's cutting him out. Good. Instead of him making his 500 bucks, yeah. Right, because he paid him the four in advance, and now he's cutting him out of the picture. Good. 
Um, does anybody think? Okay, I want to give you a. I want to give you three options. Okay, option number one. Remember, the three parties are Guggenheim. He's the one that paid for both. Then there's Kind, who was the other uh, merchant, and then Mittler, the supplier. So now the question is, four months are done, and now the original loan terms, not loan, the original credit terms are, are due. So now here are three options. Let's talk about Kind, right? Kind is the guy that never paid money from his own pocket. A, he should pay Guggenheim $400. Sorry, A, he should pay Guggenheim the 500 that he owed after four months. B, he should pay Guggenheim $400 because that's how much Guggenheim paid. Or C, he should pay a different amount altogether. So I want to hear from you guys. I hope it's clear. I want to hear from you guys how you feel about this. All right, I'm get, I, I don't want to do a hand raise. Start jumping in, start, start jumping in. What do you think? Should he be on the hook for the full five, for the discounted four, or for another amount altogether? What do you guys think? 450, 450. Okay, okay, good, okay, okay, good. What else? This is good. do I hear four? Well, no, but I want to hear what you guys think. 450 is splitting the difference, good. What else? What do you think? I think, I think you should pay 400 because he had no agreement, uh, kind of no agreement with Google Heim. And simultaneously, it probably harmed him, from my perspective. Right. With his credit record, he could, he, could have, he could have had. So he says, I have no agreement with you, but I'll pay you what you pay, but I'm not paying more. Okay, good. What else? Give me more. Good. Good. Somebody else, jump in on this. Well, if Guggenheim was paying it early to get, and he was paying for his friend, then he was trying to save his friend money, not make money on his friend. He was pay paying the 400 so that he could get the same deal he was getting. He had uh, the money, and it was his friend, you said. Right. Um, and so he only owes him the 400 Good. What else? What else? Give me more. Yeah, Steve, what do you think? 400 400 But. But sometimes, you know, like life isn't all black and white. You know, you might say, well, I'll be a man, I'll meet you halfway. Right, that's what Donna was saying. Okay. 50. But, but really, I feel like he's obligated for 400 But to be a man, pay 450 Okay. What else? What else? What else? What else? What do we think? Any other opinions on this? It's a very interesting... Uh, whatever his name is, make yeah. any money off of his friend. Okay. That's not right. Okay. <laughs> one, one argument, Morris, jump in. You want to say something? You want to? Well, that's his prerogative if he wants to make $100 off right. of his friend. Right. Okay. That's his prerogative. But what you're leaving out here about that. Yeah. There's no discourse between the two principles. So what, what are they talking about? You don't know. You know that there was a date that the man had to pay $500. So if the guy was a match, he'd give him a break. But if he didn't, is he wrong? That's right. the question. And then what was the dialogue between the two people? Right. He didn't left that out. Right. I'm going to say one other thing, if I may. Sure. On the last issue about the fellow that had the field, what you left out was the man did not want the trees. And he put up a fence. And the assumption was he was protecting the trees. Right. Well, Maybe not. He was putting up a fence so it wouldn't happen again. Oh, good. Love it. I love it. 
I love it. Morris, you are 100% correct. If that was the type of fence that he put up, that would have been the biggest proof that he didn't know a penny. But I guess, I wasn't there, I guess the type of fence that was put up was a fence that said, come look at my beautiful trees. You wish you had such beautiful trees like these. And then they said, all right, in that case. Assumptions, right? Assumptions. Now, I, I want, I, I see, I, I'm honestly, I'll be very honest with you. And maybe it's not, not a good thing that I'm about to share. I am relishing what I'm about to say. I'm, I'm, I'm enjoying. It's like I have a secret that I'm about to drop on you guys that is going to just like, just rock this boat and rock your world. Yeah. You ready? Let me, let me rock your world and tell you what Jewish law says about Guggenheim, Kind, and Mittler. I asked you three, I gave you three options. I said, does he owe the full five? Because look, Kind didn't pay until the four months, so he owed five, so maybe just pay the five to the other guy. Or maybe he should only pay what the other guy paid, which is four, or maybe another amount. Uh, one thing that wasn't mentioned, and I think we gave, you know, like uh, opportunity to jump in on this. What if Kind, listen to this, listen to this. Imagine if Kind would say to Guggenheim, his merchant buddy, why'd you do that? Why'd you pay off? I, I didn't ask you, I, I didn't ask you to, um, to pay for the, uh, to pay off my, my, my credit, right? I actually was going to work out a deal with Mittler. I was going to barter something or I had something of value for him. It's like, I don't, I don't even want that. Like, I don't, I, you paid something that you had no business paying and I totally have no use for that, etc. And it's not only because he actually says that or could say that. Sorry, it's not because he actually says that. That Judaism comes to the following shocking, Jewish law would have the shocking following conclusion. It's because of something a little bit more basic. And listen to this. Listen to this. The moment Mr. Guggenheim pays off the debt, yeah, Midler's debt is satisfied, which means that kind owes nothing. Now, one second. You're going to say that who gave him the benefit of owing nothing? Mr. Guggenheim. Kind, you owe nothing. Don't you have a benefit now? He can say what kind of benefit. I could have also gone down to nothing in my own way. You didn't benefit, which means that Mr. Guggenheim canceled out someone else's debt. Right. Took care of that on his own. There's no debt. Never contracted that never contract, uh, made a contract with Kind. Kind doesn't owe him a penny. Kind doesn't owe Midler a penny. This is option C. Option number three, 500, 400, different amount, different amount. You know how much? Not 450, zero. Let's get in on the camera. Zero, my friends. He owes him nothing. In halacha and Jewish law, we say the following. Yes, if someone gives you trees, if someone gives you gutters, you got to pay for it. In this case, he gave him nothing. Oh, one second. He gave him the benefit of saving him from a loss. That's not the same as giving somebody something of value. Are you with me on that? There's a difference between giving something of tangible value versus saving them from a potential loss. Kind could say, what loss? The 500? I would have made a deal with him. I had other stuff that he wants, whatever. I have a deal with him. 
he would have he would have uh, uh, been forgiven it. He would have uh, he would have forgiven it. He would have been saying, you know, it's fine. We have an ad- agreement. You don't know what our agreements are. So again, 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 just to be very clear, Jewish law says that if somebody makes your property better and you like it, you got to pay for it. But in this case, Guggenheim didn't make Kain's property better. He didn't give him something of value. He only theoretically, possibly prevented him from losing something, but that's not the same. I'll give you an example. This is a clear... He gave him something of value. He gave him an invoice instead of paying. He gave him something of value. But that's right. Okay, so he owes him a piece of paper, five cents, right? (laughs) The invoice... The invoice that says paid is not actual tangible benefit because how do we know that the paid is actually of any benefit to him? Now you can say, well, obviously it's, he saves him 500 bucks. Saving someone 500 bucks is not the same as giving them 500 bucks. It's different. When you put new gutters in someone's property, you're actually giving them something of value. You save them $500. How do you know that they would have owed it? How do you know that at the end of the day they would have owed it? Because you think they owe it? It's not, not your business. Listen to this. I'll give you, I'll, I'll give you another parallel. He's saving him $100. Say it again. He's only saving him $100, not $500. He's not saving, but yeah, but I'm saying, but even the, fu- right, but even the 100, he's not saving him anything. No, no, no. What, what Guggenheim is saying is that I paid off your debt, which means that now you're debt free and you were on the hook for 500, right? So now I benefited you $500. And Kind says to him, thank you very much for the gift. Exactly. You made, you, made, you made a gift payment to that guy. You canceled out that debt. I don't owe you anything. I don't owe Mittler anything. And by the way, you know what can't happen? Mittler is not allowed to give the money back to Guggenheim and recollect from Kind because that, the debt is done. Once he accepted on behalf of Kind, the debt's done and Kind owes nothing. I, 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 need, to give, I need to give an example. I must give this example. So everyone just hold on for one second. Let me give one example. The Talmud discusses the case of a wild lion that breaks into someone's property. So let's say, God forbid, right, a, a, a lion breaks into your neighbor's property, okay? And who knows what's going to happen? And, and, and you heroically, because, I don't know, you watch Tiger King or you've been to... Um, Whatever, I know lions and tigers and bears are mixing things, whatever. So now you feel qualified and you chase, you heroically chase away the lion from that guy's property. And now you go to him and say, you owe me money because I saved you. I saved you from all this damage that could have been. What do you think? Do you, do, does, does the neighbor owe you any money because you, you chased away the lion from the property? No. No. Why not? Because saving someone from a potential loss is not the same as actually benefiting them financially. Are you with me on the difference? Tangible. What if it's a poisonous snake? What if it's what? What if it's a poisonous snake? Again, again, what's the benefit? What's the actual benefit? How do you quantify the benefit? Again, and, and, the, huh? and, and the, neighbor, the neighbor says, I know that you've got young children. I saw this copperhead in your yard. I trapped it for you. So your children would get hurt. The Talmud says that in the case of the lion, if the lion was actively attacking the animals in the other guy's field and, and you saved the animals by driving away the lion, then yes, you could collect for, the, for saving the, the animals. You could collect. But in a case where the lion was not yet doing any damage 
And now you're just saying, um, I saved you from, you know, X amount that I've estimated of damage. There's no grounds for that. In this case, it's very similar. Even though there's an objective $500 line of credit that needs to be paid off after four months, Kind could say, you have no idea what, we, what agreement we would have struck. You didn't save me $500. I could have bartered. I could have negotiated. I could have whatever. I don't owe you a penny because you, you didn't give me anything. You, didn't, you saved me from a debt? How do you know you saved me from a debt? Mr. Guggenheim, how do you know that you saved me from a debt? Prove it. Because oh, you had a debt of five. Prove it that at the end of four months that I would have had to pay it. Well, don't you have that contract? I can renegotiate the contract. How do you know what I owe? If you put in gutters on my property, you actually benefit me. There's, you can't argue. The gutters are there. If I like the gutters and I'm enjoying the gutters, that's it. I got the gutters. But if you save me from a potential loss due to the repayment of a loan, how do you know, how do you know what the benefit there was? In that case, Halacha says you owe nothing. One second, one second before the question mark. Let me just show you this written so it's easier to digest perhaps. Let me just show you in, in, show everyone inside the source. Okay, here we go. One second, one second, one second. The code, this is Shulchan Aruch, Code of Jewish Law. This is as classic as, as classic can be. If someone paid off his friend's loan without his consent, the debtor is not required to reimburse him. End of story. If, if you pay off someone else's loan and then you go back to that guy to collect it, nope. That's not how that works. It's not, they, they owe you nothing. They didn't have a deal with you. You stepped in and paid that guy. Great. That cancels out that, that debt. But now you want that money? You can't do that. Now, what's the way around it? There is a way around it. There is a way around it. If the guy didn't pay off the loan or pay off the credit, but bought the rights to collect, are you with me in the difference? If he would have bought the rights to collect, then that would have transferred the, the, the collection from Mr. Uh, Mittler to Mr. Guggenheim, and then he could have collected because he's like the original guy. You with me on that, on the distinction? So if he pays off the debt, well, then he just dug himself a hole. You paid off the debt. Guggenheim pays off Kind's debt. Guggenheim, you're a mensch. And you're, I mean, I hate to say this, you're a loser. I mean, you, you just lost money. You just lost 400 bucks. You're a nice guy, but you're not going to see that money ever again. But if you give, if Guggenheim pays Mittler, if Guggenheim pays the, 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 the holder of the, of the credit, if he pays him the money, uh, sorry, if he buys the debt off of him, he doesn't repay the debt. He buys the debt off of him. That's something else. It's a different scenario. Now he can collect. He takes the place of the original guy. And now Mr. Kind owes Guggenheim directly that same 500 at the end of the four months. And he has to pay the full amount. That's how that would work. Okay? All right, Mark, jump in. But shouldn't it... Shouldn't I'm listening even though I'm getting a seltzer. I'm listening. Okay. Go. Okay. Shouldn't it come down to what Kind says to uh, Guggenheim? If he says to Guggenheim, you know... I was going to barter this, and he messed this deal up. I don't know you were saying. I'd agree with that. But if Kind says, this is great, now I don't have to pay Mittler, thank, thanks for the gift, but I'm not paying you either, to me he's on the hook. Yeah, no, I'm with you, I'm with you. Because the logic would, the logic would seem to indicate that you're right, that it's only in a scenario where he's actually claiming that he wouldn't have had to pay the debt. What if he says, you know, thank you, I'm off the hook, and now, now you really help me out because... <laughs> See you later, alligator. 
In that case, shouldn't he be on the hook? The answer is an halacha no, because literally you have two, two different scenarios. You have a guy, in this case Guggenheim, who pays a loan back for someone else. He, he, he gives the guy 800 bucks. He cancels out both debts. Kind has nothing to do with it. Kind didn't know about it. Kind's right. debt is gone. Now Guggenheim wants to create a relationship with Kind? Guggenheim says to Kind, remember, remember, there's no relationship, and somebody mentioned this, there's no relationship between Guggenheim and Kind. Now Guggenheim says, I have a relation, I'm forcing a relationship on you because of what I did. But again, that only works if he actually gave him something. In this case, he didn't give him anything. Again, halakha is very clear. If you plant trees in someone else's property, now you've created a relationship with them. If you've covered someone else's debt, you have not created a relationship because you haven't given them anything. You've only taken away something you haven't given. And I, it may seem a little like, little like, what's, uh, you're splitting hairs. The difference between giving and, and, and there's a difference between benefiting or preventing a loss. In halakha, it makes all the difference in the world. So you're right. Kind would not have to argue that I would have negotiated, I would have bartered, I wouldn't have had to pay it, and now you didn't really help me. That's all icing on the cake if he says that. He doesn't even have to say that. He could be honest and say, I had, you know, I, I was struggling to have to repay that, and now you, you, you helped me. doesn't matter because he still didn't actually give him anything. He just prevented a loss, and prevention of loss is, is intang it's intangible. Visa, it, it's, not, it's not tangible enough to create a relationship between two parties that never contracted with each other. Again, in the, case of the, in the case of the trees, those two parties never contracted with each other. But the fact that this guy did work on that guy's property planting trees, that almost forces a relationship. But when somebody pays off your debt, that's not creating a relationship. According to halacha, that doesn't create that relationship. That's the, yeah, Mark, jump in. Hold on, wait, wait, no, so not Mark. I mean Morris. Morris, but you're you're muted. Morris, jump in. Don't forget to unmute. You all right? Yeah. Can you hear me? Yeah, you're good. Does it does it make any difference if there are relatives? No. I don't. I, I don't believe so. I don't believe so. In other words, Halacha would say there's two two things that happened. We drive. We we make a clear cut between the two. This guy, Mr. Mittler, the 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 supplier, right? He held two debts, right? He had two, two lines of credit. This guy paid off both. Mittler's done. Mittler's finished. He's, 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 no, he's not holding on to anyone anymore. He, he's let go. Both hands are let go. And now, Kind is off the hook. Mittler now, sorry, Kind's off the hook. Guggenheim now wants to create a new relation with Kind. Kind says, no, thank you. I, I, I choose not to engage. And he's off the hook. Doesn't have to pay. Rabbi Ari, quick question. Yeah. Does, does halacha discuss what's legally required and what's ethically or morally required? That's a good question. In this case, I'm not sure. There are cases where there's what's legal and then there's what's yasher v'toiv, what's good. Like we discussed a few weeks ago, the whole concept of bar metzra, which is the right of first refusal for the neighbor, all of that is under the purview, under the... Uh, the umbrella of doing what's right and being a mensch. It's not legally mandated, but it's pretty much mandated. I mean, it's, it's mandated under the do what's right. Your question is, is there an extra legal requirement here to do what's right and give that guy at least the 400 that he paid to make him whole again? Because at the end of the day, you don't, have to, you don't owe it. I don't know. It's a good question. I don't know. I would have to look up the cases again. 
Um, but halacha, halacha, like the law itself says, kind, he doesn't know anybody. Now again, there's one way around it. If 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 Guggenheim was a was was learned in halacha and a, and a, and a, a shrewd businessman, what he would what he would do is he wouldn't pay off Kind's debt. He would buy the rights to collect it off of Midler. And once you buy it, you didn't cancel it out. You just transferred whoever's doing the collecting. And now he can do the collecting. And you know what? After four months, he can collect the full five hundred, and he'll make back. Rabbi, I put that in the chat. It's called factoring. Oh, factoring. So that would have been, that. that's what he was trying to do. He basically swung and missed on it because instead of doing that, he ended up paying it off. And now, Kind doesn't owe a penny. And this guy doesn't get his money back. And now he learned the lesson the hard way, as uh, as they say. Now, I understand Mark's question. Should he be a mensch, a kind anyway? Because he would have owed the money, most likely, even though maybe not. But most likely, yes. And should he give him something? I don't know. Maybe. Is it mandated? I don't believe so. Halacha's halacha in this case. I don't, I don't know that there's a do what's right and, and, and just in this case. Um, I want to move on to the third case. Because the third case is a real... I don't know what to call it. It's this is really gonna wallop us. Again, I, I appreciate everybody like being on this. This case now, I need I know it's a little it's 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 getting late. It's it's you know a little later than when we started the class. It's an hour or so, an hour, twenty minutes later. But let's halt cup one more case. This is the grand finale of this course. This is it. Right? Let's put all of our brain by the way, it's not it it, because we have a new course on similar topics coming up in a few months. But, at least next month, sorry, in one month from now. But, this is for all, right, for the whole course, for the grand finale, let's get all in on this, all right? It's, there's gonna be multiple parties here in a complex scenario, let's do this. No one said that studying Jewish law would be easy, but let's do this. The case of the missing half million. You ready? Buckle up, it's gonna get good. Benjamin, again, remember the names. Benjamin Baumel borrowed $1 million from his friend Jacob Mann. Okay? Baumel borrows $1 million from Mann. They agreed that Baumel would repay the money to Mann in a year's time, one year's time. However, a couple of months later, Mr. Mann, the lender, needed $1 million for a business investment. He himself now needed a million. So he borrowed a million dollars from the bank. How many parties do we have? St let's stop here. How many, how many parties do we have so far? Three. Baumol borrows money from man. A million. Man borrows a million from the bank. So A borrows from B and B borrows from C. Okay, so that's where we are so far. Let's continue inside. Let's continue inside. Now, Mr. Mann, who was the original lender and then the subsequent borrower, the middleman, if you will, the B-man, his business venture floundered during the economic meltdown. Uh-oh. This guy put a million dollars in a startup and the whole thing tanked. And he found himself unable to keep up with the payments to the bank. As a result, the bank started pressuring him to repay the entire amount of the loan. Basically, the bank, I'm stopping here for a second, the bank sees that this guy can't make the payments and they're calling in. There's no more payments. Give us a million bucks. That's it. We need the money back now. Now, you got to come up with a million. So now man, who's the original lender, 
man is now the borrower to the bank and he's in the hot seat. You ready for this? This gets wild. Okay? Stay with me. By now, Baumel's loan was due, the original, the original borrower, Mr. A. And man asked Baumel to repay him as promised so that man could make the payment to the bank. Are you with me? He says, you owe me the million, give me the million, and then I can pay the bank a million. Now, Baumel, unfortunately, was also not doing well. As his expected returns from his invest investment in the Madoff fund were not forthcoming. You with me on this? Yeah? Yeah? I'm going to stop here again. I know I keep on doing this. Stay with me. Baumel borrows a million from man. Man borrows a million from the bank. Man can't repay. The bank can't, he's not making the payments. The bank calls in the million. So man is, man is now, he's panicked. He calls in his million from Baumel. He's like, Baumel, you owe me a million. I, I, I owe the bank a million. Baumel doesn't have the million either. Baumel's Madoff fund is, uh, you know, Madoff, Madoff with the funds. So now, now he doesn't have his money either. So now what? Now everyone's in hot water. Okay, let's continue. After much effort, Baumel managed to scrape together a half a million dollars. So he was able to pull together a 500K. Knowing, however, that man would never agree to accept only half the amount due, he went directly to the bank from which man had borrowed money and offered to pay off man's loan in cash on the spot, provided the bank was willing to accept 50 cents on the dollar and forgive the rest of the loan. Are you with me on this? Yes. Baumel, the original borrower from man, goes behind man's back to the bank because he was, and he offers them 500K to, re, to, to release man's debt. The bank manager knew how dire man's situation was and figured a half a million in the hand is wor was worth a million on paper, and he agreed to Baumel's deal. After Baumel got the bank to sign off on man's loan closure, he went to man and announced that he had paid off man's debt, and therefore Baumel no longer owes man anything. You guys with me on this? Yeah? Mm -hmm. I'm going to stop again. I know I'm being annoying. It doesn't matter. I'm, I'm ready to accept that. Yeah. Baumel borrows a million from man, man from the bank. He, man can't pay the bank. He's calling in Baumel. Baumel can't pay man either. No one has a million at this point. Not Baumel, not man. But Baumel's a chevermat because he could pull together half a million. He knows that man is not going to take a half a million because he's like, I gave you a million. But he knows that banks work a little bit differently. He knows that banks, maybe you can negotiate. So he goes directly to the creditor of his creditor, his creditor's creditor, which is now the bank, right? So he goes to the bank, and now he goes to the bank, and he says to the bank, hey, listen, I know this guy owes you a million. I'll take care of it. But I, he doesn't have money. You know that. I got 500K. Will you forgive the loan for 500K? The bank says yes. He gets the paper that says that debt is done. He goes back to his creditor. He goes back to, uh, to man, and he says to Baumel, goes to man directly and says, I, pay, I paid it off. You're good. And what does man think? How much did he pay? A million. That's what man thinks. Man thinks he paid him a million. Oh, ho, ho. Wait till he finds out that it wasn't a million. Wait. Just you wait. Everything was fine until man found out that Baumel had gotten away with only paying the bank manager a half a million dollars. Man did not feel it was fair for Baumel to get a windfall by paying off his debt without getting man's agreement. And now man has sued Baumel for the other half million, telling Baumel he still owes the other half of the loan. Who is right? All right? You guys with me on this? So look, look at this little chart, or whatever you call it. 
Baumol owes man a million dollars. Man owes the bank a million dollars. And what actually happens here is that Baumol directly paid the bank, but he paid the bank, right? He, when he leapfrogged the middleman. He paid the bank, not a million, but half a million. And he went to man and said, I paid off your loan. Man thinks means he paid a million. So instead of paying it to him, <coughs> he paid it to the one that he owed. So who cares? But then man finds, finds out that it wasn't a million, it was only half a million. And now he's like, well, I appreciate the bank not on, not on my case, but I gave you a million. You only paid half a million. You owe me now another half a million directly to me. That's what man says to Baumol. Are you with me on this? Mm-hmm. All right, you be the judge. You guys be the judge. What do you think? Does he owe, bottom line, does Baumol owe him the other half, uh, half a million or is he off yes. the hook? Yes, I think he does. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Anybody say no? What do you guys think? I, I, I want, I would love to hear logical arguments. Give me a logic both ways or, or whatever you feel. Give me, a, give me an argument. Why would you say, I heard a few yeses. Why would you say that Baumol owes man the half a million? Why? There was no agreement. Good. Good. There was no agreement. So therefore, so continue, so continue, so therefore. So in other words, had, 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 had Baumol gone to man and say, I think I can settle your million dollars, your million dollar debt, if I can, if that wipes out my debt, I'll go take care of it. Good. And do you agree to that? And if he said yes, then he's off the hook. But he didn't do that. But he didn't do that. And now you're thinking, hold on, you didn't have that conversation. You paid off a half a million to the bank, but that doesn't mean you don't know this other guy, a half a million that you borrowed from. You borrowed a million, you paid, you only uh, released 500,000, so you might have done him a favor, but you still owe the half a million, like we said before. You might have done a favor. And if anything, uh, man would be doing him a favor to say you only owe only half a million. You really still owe me a million. Like, like the previous case. Like the previous case, somebody pays off someone else. You did a nice thing, but you're still up. But that has nothing to do with me. So now you might argue, oh, I love what Mark is saying. Mark is arguing that not only does he owe him the half a million, maybe maybe he owes him the whole million. Ah, he paid off the bank. I didn't tell you to pay off the bank. You still owe me. I don't. You still owe me five. You still owe me a million. The fact that you paid off the bank for me. Very good. I'll give you a sticker. I'll give you a mitzvah sticker. But you still owe me a million. Good. By the way, Mark, Mark, I love that. And I only wish the Gemara would agree with you. I, I wish because it's so it's 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 perfect. Your logic, by the way, your logic is perfect. If not for the verses, not if not for the 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 lima, the, 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 the derivation that the Torah has that, that the Talmud has from the Torah. That learns an unbelievable insight, and this is how we're going to conclude the class and the course. Mark, you you articulated the argument, the logical argument, based on everything we've said thus far. You are 100% correct. But there's one, there's one trick, there's one factor here that there's no way we could have accounted for if not for the Talmud. Let's jump in and see what that is, and that's how everything, in this one case, everything changes. Take a look. It's called, I'll tell you the Hebrew term, Shibuda Durebnasen. You'll see, you'll see it inside. Let's do this. <coughs> Excuse me. Rabbi Nathan says, Rabbi Natan says, 
If a man lends another a mana, mana is uh, whatever, a dollar, a hundred, it doesn't matter. If a man lends a, another, a, another a mana, and this one lends to a third, you with me on this? Yeah? How do we know that the betin can take from the last name then give it to the first creditor? Because it says, and he shall give it to the one to whom he is guilty. Now, I, we don't have time. I'm, I'm looking at the clock. We don't have time to get into the source from the Torah or text 4, which is from Leviticus, Vayikra. We don't have time. But you have to trust me on this, that the Torah indicates that when a person is liable for financial payments, you can give it to the one that it needs to go to originally and not the one to whom he owes immediately. And I know what I just said is complicated, but I want to just scroll right back. Actually, no, I want to scroll f uh, one second. Ah, uh, shoot, I don't see any, any chart here. I'm going to scroll back. <coughs> when Baumol owes man, and man owes the bank, you know what Rabbi Natan says? You know who has, an, you know who has an, um, a relationship? The last and the first, directly. Who created that relationship? Torah. Are you with me on this? All right, I'm going to try again. Let's do it like this. Let's do it like this. Forget, forget, the, forget the names. Mr. A, Mr. B, Mr. C. Mr. A borrows $100 from Mr. B. Mr. B borrows $100 from Mr. A. That's the same people. I'm sorry, from Mr. C. You're right. <laughs> that would be weird. Right. So, Mr. Thank you. Mr. A. <coughs> sorry. Mr. A borrows from Mr. B. Mr. B borrows from Mr. C. Comes along the Torah and the Talmud and they tell us something amazing. You might as well cut out Mr. B in the middle. Because A owes B and B owes C. So essentially A owes, assuming it's the same dollar amount, essentially A owes C. Cut out the middleman. This is what the Torah says. Basic geometry. It's basic, right. A equals B and B equals C. A equals C. Exactly. A equals B. B equals C. A equals C. If A owes B 100 and B owes C 100, so instead of everyone, A gives B 100 and B gives C 100, A and C can go directly between each other. And B doesn't have to be involved anymore. If B owes to C and needs to collect from A, why waste everyone's time? Are you with me on what I just said? Mr. B in the middle, he has to give money to C. He has to collect money from A. Forget about it. Let A give it straight to C. B, you're out. In this case, getting back to Baumol, getting back to, uh, I don't want to mess up the names here. Getting back to Baumol, man, and the bank. There's a lot of money at stake. It's a million dollars, a cool million. Baumol, let's re recap. Baumol borrowed a million from man. Man borrowed a million from the bank. And at this point, no one can come up with the money. Not, neither of these two. Yeah. Halacha would say, listen to this. Remember, it's based on the Talmud, a biblical derivation, something that we could not have known otherwise. The Talmud says, the halacha is, in Jewish law, that we cut out man. We cut out man. We cut out the middle man. Oh, the middle man. you got to be kidding me. We literally cut out the middle man. I love this. 
we cut out this guy and we say Baumol owes the bank a million dollars because what? He has to give him a million and he has to give him a million. Forget about it. Baumol owes a million. The bank needs a million. Let Baumol deal straight with the bank. And that's what happened. Baumol dealt with the bank. Baumol cut a deal with the bank. Baumol said, instead of a million, will you take a half a million? The bank said, yes. Man has nothing to do with this. Can man come up and, oh, you owe me 500K? No. Why? Unique situation when you have three parties that flow A, B, C. It's very unique. Remember, remember what's very important. Civil law? Say it again. What, what? Is that civil law? No, that's Jewish law. That's Jewish law. Yeah, yeah. Jewish law. Jewish law says, the Talmud says, that when A owes B and B owes C, forget B. AOC, that's it. Start from the first and start from the last. The first and last, they uh, they have a shidduch. They're together. You forget forget about the middle guy. Is it only the, because the amounts are the same? Yeah. Yeah, essentially, in this case. I mean, it would be tricky if it's a percentage of the amount, then it becomes more complicated. Then the, uh, you know, it's a good question. I, I, I'm, I'm hesitant to answer definitively, but for sure when it's the same, this is the case. It's, it's, it's a good question. But understand why this is different than the previous case. In the previous case, it wasn't A owes B and B owes C. You had two people that bought merchandise from the same party. They had parallel relationships to the same party. It wasn't going through one, two, three. Are you with me on that? The two parties didn't have, I'm forgetting the names already. It was Google, Heim, and Kind. I don't forget. I remember. Google, Heim, and Kind. It wasn't one, it wasn't A, B, C. It was two people. With a, with, this, with a supplier, supplier at the top, and two people that, that took merch, right? That, it wasn't linear. In this case, it's, straight, it's perfectly linear. Baumol borrows a million from man. Man borrows a million from the bank. <coughs> Halacha says, she, it's called Shibuda de Reb which is like, it means the lean, lean like L-E-I-N, the lean of Reb Nassin. Reb Nassin's lean, because he, he was the one who taught it, based on this derivation, is that who owes who, what? Or who owes, who's on the hook to whom? The first and the last. The first creditor and the last debtor. So in this case, in this case, it's Baumol who owes the bank a million dollars. Baumol bar from man who bar from the bank, perfect. Baumol owes the bank a million. If he cuts a deal with the bank, Gesundheit hate. Can man resurrect his relationship and say, I want, I want money? Why, why do you get money? Who are you? We cut you out of it already. We, we, we cut you out of the picture. It's A and C. Listen, I know that's why, that's why we chose this case because it's, it's, it's a unique twist in Jewish law. This is a unique twist in Jewish law. I don't know. Morris's question is a good question. What would the secular court say in this case? I would find it hard-pressed to believe that the secular courts would agree with the Talmudic um, derivation. I do not believe that they would say that uh, that 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 he owes he does not owe him any any money uh, any longer. Remember the extreme shift in in, the, in Jewish law from from our second case study to now this third case study. In the second case case study, we said somebody pays off your debt, you're a fool. I mean, why'd you pay off? I owe you nothing, right? So in this case, you, know, you didn't do me a favor. So in this case, you would have thought that the middle guy, in this case, man, could have told Baumol, thank you for paying off my debt to the bank. 
you're a tzaddik, but you owe me a full million, like Mark said, you owe me a full million dollars. But actually, Halacha would say, no, he doesn't owe him a penny. Because since he also owes the bank, so then you just cut out, you cut him out altogether. Baumel owes the bank. Baumel made a deal with the bank. We're done. We're finished here. No more conversation. My friends, this concludes our study of Talmudic law and really unique Talmudic scenarios in which we see, or unique Talmudic rulings in which we see distinctions, variances between the way U.S. secular law looks at it and the way Jewish law looks at it. It's, to me, it's absolutely fascinating. And I, 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 you could probably tell I love discussing these legal cases and, and these considerations and getting into the mind of the Talmud. It's absolutely fascinating to me. And I hope you enjoyed it as well. And I, I, I want to end... I want to end... Um, with the following. Um, you know, in life, in life, there are those, think about the legacy of a tzaddik, the legacy of a righteous person, a leader, a mentor, you know, somebody that, that helped us achieve something. And one could say that our relationship Let's talk about a spiritual relationship. Our relationship to God runs through the one who inspired us. But Reb Nussan's teaching about finance can teach us also about spirituality. And that is you cut out the middleman, right? You cut out the middleman. Yes, there was someone who might have inspired you, but at the end of the day, you have a direct connection with Hashem, direct connection with the source. Cut out the middleman. In this case, you cut out the shachin, right? Cut out the matchmaker, right? When you have a matchmaker, yeah, so it's good to have a matchmaker sometimes. You need the introductions, whatever it is. But at some point, you, don't, you no longer want the matchmaker in the back seat on the date. Matchmaker can go home, and then we're going to continue on our own. And this is the message for all of us. As we, uh, as we get ready for Passover, um, we recognize <laughs> that indeed we have a direct connection. I think it, it's... it's uh, I'll give you a, a quick Passover... Quick yeah. Quick question. Based upon that, would we say... That if a rabbi teaches us, let's say you teach us, and you need to say put on to fill in the morning, and you teach us you got to put on to fill, but you don't put on to fill in the next morning. But we do, we've satisfied you. Mm-hmm. Is that what you're saying? No. I didn't follow that scenario, but I don't know. I thought you were gonna say something else. Right, that instead of the uh, the cor- the next JLI, the ninety nine dollar course fee going to Intown Jewish Academy, you'll say you'll pay it straight to God. I and that I don't know if that's going to work to get you to get you the Zoom link, but whatever. I'm just gonna. No, I'm kidding. But I will tell you something else. We find something. In- yeah. That's a Right. But one one thing is interesting. I'll tell you one one insight that you can share at your seder. Everyone's looking for something to share. You know, there's one person who's not mentioned at the seder. And it's surprising. It's Moshe, Moses. His name's it's mentioned once in the context of a verse, almost parenthetically. The whole Seder goes, and if you read the Haggadah, if you read the text, we don't talk about Moses. You know why? Because really we cut out the middleman. I mean, not to minimize Moses, but it was God's miracle. Yes, it, it, Moses facilitated it, but we don't, we don't lift up Moses as an entity that stands almost in between, but rather... We, we and the source, we have a direct connection to the source. So as we get ready for the holiday of Passover, let's remember the 
financial teaching of the Talmud and also the mystical inference and the, and the inspiration that each one of us has a direct connection to the source. And let's find the beauty in that. You have a pure connection with God Almighty. And on this Passover, may that be your liberation, recognizing that you are Hashem's child. Or like we, the, the Bashem Tev teaches, you are, you are like God's only child born in his older age. Imagine the joy of somebody born in the right child in their older age. Imagine that joy. That's how much God loves you and you and you and you, right? Everyone is an only child. So that hopefully that can inspire us. I want to thank you all for joining me in this journey. I hope you enjoyed it. We had six just wild topics. In each, case, in each lesson, we had at least three different case studies, sometimes more, sometimes four or five or six case studies. We had the opportunity, I think, to engage and to debate and to uh, voice our opinions. And I, I, I want to express gratitude for you being here, but also for sharing your insights. And I, I found it compelling tonight. Certainly, you know, the discussions tonight, I loved what everyone had to say. I, I, I loved also the opportunity to share the unique Jewish insight, the Talmudic insight, which sometimes resonates, sometimes doesn't, which is also okay. But it's, 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 it's fascinating to see how different approaches in law come to, uh, to different conclusions. So along these lines, I want to share with you that, as I mentioned er a little bit earlier, that next month, in a, just, just about one month, we're starting a brand new course called Beyond Right. It's a little bit similar to what we did here, but a little bit different also. It looks at Jewish law and ethics and various case studies like we did tonight, but looks at them from the perspective of what is the underlying Jewish ethical consideration that is driving the legal decision. In this course, we didn't always do that. Like tonight, we used the Talmudic law based on a verse and then applied it to the financial, but this is going to drill down into ethical, ethical foundations. How the ethical foundations of Judaism really form and fashion the application of Jewish law. And I'm telling you, there are fascinating case studies. Some of them, you know, I started preparing the course. Some of them are like one case study is um, if you know that a crime is being plotted, do you have an obligation to tell the authorities? By the way, in the United States, you do not, which is really shocking. You actually do not have an obligation in U.S. law. We'll look at this from a Jewish perspective. I'll give you another scenario, completely different scenario. Imagine you're starving. You're hungry. It's lunchtime, and you're in the office. And you forgot to bring a lunch, and you're starving. Your coworker is out that day, and you open up the, the company fridge, the, you know, the, the work fridge, and you see, like, tons of food. Your coworker has, you know, their name on it, whatever it is, and they got a ton of food. And you, 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 you feel like they're not going to mind if you take some food, but you haven't asked them, and you can't get a hold of them. You're starving. You can't, you can't <laughs> run away from your desk. You can't order. You have no other option. I mean, you think that you have no other option other than taking this food. Can you take this food? Yeah? That's another case. I'm giving you, like, simple cases. Can you put up a fence in your yard? Yeah, a tall fence, privacy fence? that casts shade on your neighbor's property and then kills their flowers. Oi. Yep, yeah, these are cases. These are all, these are some, these are just some of the cases. 
and we'll have real life cases. There's a, an incredible case in San Francisco of these uh, individuals who build mansions. And there was one guy who owned a little, a little tiny house who didn't want to sell to the wealthy uh, mansion owners. And they wanted to push him out. So you know what they did? They were all surrounding him. They built 60 foot, foot high walls to completely isolate him and to block sunlight and, and, and uh, to block light and, uh, and warmth to his house to try to force him out. And he sued them. But, but their walls were on their property. Can he legally get a, get a judgment? <clears throat> These are all questions that we will address in this course. It's similar to what we just did in the sense that we're going to look at U.S. law and Jewish law. The uniqueness of this new course that we're about to teach next month is that it drills everything down to the ethical bedrock of Judaism. So in every class, you're going to get a sense of, ah, this is the Jewish ethical feeling. This is what, what ethics means to the Jew. So, with that being said, I'd love for you to join me for that course. It's, again, called Beyond Right. We're doing it online Tuesday nights at 8 and also in person Thursdays at 12 along with a delicious bagel, locks, and cream cheese spread. So join me for that. It comes with a beautiful textbook. It's going to be a fa fabulous course, six weeks www.intownjewishacademy.com slash law. Intownjewishacademy.org. I don't know if I said that com. Intownjewishacademy.org slash law, L-A-W, to sign up for that course. You don't want to miss it. All right. Thank you for joining. Wishing you a kosher, a very happy and healthy holiday. And uh, any other final words, thoughts, questions, comments? Oh, jump in. Yeah, yes. This is wonderful. Thank you. Thank you, Adina Malka. Jump in. I have a real life uh, experience that I would like to have you weigh in on and have the class weigh in on. Sure. I went to the store uh, where they have all kinds of, you know, pastries and cakes and all that. And they had a big box of the big shimura matzo. So I brought it to the cashier ready to check out. And I don't know how much this box of box cashier said. I don't know how much the box of box it is. I said, well, I think it's somewhere around $30. And she said, no, I don't think so. I think it's 10 She said, well, I'll go ask the other cashier. And the other cashier said, oh, no, that's just $10. So I got this $30 box of matzo for $10. So do I just, you know, is this mine? I asked. They checked. It was $10, or do I go to the manager of the restaurant and say, I think there's some mistake here. Uh, I got it for 10 I think it's a, a good bit more. What do I owe you, or what do I do? That's that, a, that really happen. That's a really Gina, good... I, I knew you were going to ask them. <laughs> <laughs> we both got a $10, 35 30 $35. One-pound box of shawarma. That's a, that's a great deal. I will say that if you asked and they gave you an answer, I don't know to what extent <laughs> do you have to push it and force them. It's a good question because, you know, if in the back of your mind you kind of know that that's too good to be true and you're not, you know, yeah. that's on the one well, hand. There were three, uh, three people involved we tried to. I, and they also, right. Finally, I, the, the, the final one emphatically said, 
ten dollars. At that point, I would. At that point, I would look at it as if the store is telling you definitively that's the price. Even if the going rate elsewhere, whatever it is, is more, that's what they chose to charge you at that time. And you brought it to their attention and they consented to that. And you might consider it a gift or whatever it is. I don't know if it's a price mistake if they double down and triple down on it. I don't know. I mean, it's like, I, to me, I think you, you're somewhat in the clear on that one because you did ask and you went to multiple parties. And yeah, I don't know. Could I just make a suggestion? For sure. Yeah. If, if the ethics bother people about that, they can take the 25 extra dollars and put it in the pushka. <laughs> oh, there you go. For Ari's matzah. Oh, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, yeah, that's that's not a bad idea. Yeah. By the way, in general, that is what my mom is suggesting is actually an age-old Jewish, um, you know, option. When somebody, when you feel like I don't know if that really that that money is really mine, and you kind of feel a little bit torn on it, you know what? It what one might consider just giving that to tzedakah and be like, you know, put in the pushka. I'm like, you know what? Sadaka. So that way, you know, it's it, it's going to a good cause. Not not a not a bad not a bad option. Yeah. But I do think in this case, it sounds like I mean, you tried. What are you going to do? Like force them to take money? They're like they they don't want to take the money. So at that point, I don't know what you call it a gift. You know, I mean, something. It sa sounds like you're you're most likely in the clear on that. But again, I think it's a it's a it's a wonderful idea. Thank you because it'll make the matzah sweeter. Ah, oh, there you go. There you go. Twenty dollars in the push guide always goes to yeah, exactly. It's, can't can't go wrong, especially before uh, before Pesach. All right. Malschitim, right? Especially right, helping a fund support those that uh, that uh, you know to get to get their, get their own supplies for the holiday. Exactly. All right. Very good. So it was Thank Chag Sameach. The next course, I'm in, I take it with Rabbi Flankenstein here. I know. This was wonderful. And if there's other things uh, virtually, I'll be happy to join. But, well, uh, well Judy, the, we love having you class join. That's by me, too, though. I have to take it by me. No, 100%. 100%. Uh, me and Rabbi Flinkenstein were good friends, and we're even on editorial committees. I don't know if he told yes, you this. You told me. Yes, we are editing now another, a future JLI course. We're on the same, we're on the same editorial team. So, absolutely, yes. absolutely, enjoy, enjoy the next course in uh, in Wilmette, where you got, where yes. you are in Illinois, and uh, but check in. You can check in on us from time to time, and we'll have more opportunities. That will okay. be uh, opportunities to study. Chaksamech, everyone. And we'll mention everybody by name, Steve and Sarah and Donna and Ray and Adina Malka and Mom and Mark and Judy. Have a wonderful Chag. Enjoy the matzah. And I hope all your matzah is nice and crunchy. All right, we'll see you all soon. Take care, everybody. Laila Tov. Thank you. Bye, everybody. Bye.